Hello, my name is Jonathan Swift, the Content Director of InfoPro Digital's Insurance Division. And I'd like to welcome you to the fifth episode of the podcast associated with the Future Focus series brought to you by Insurance Posts in association with Verisk, a print, online and audio series where we set a hypothesis about how an insurance sector might look at the end of the decade and get the market to comment on it. Today, we are focusing on the Lloyds and London market and a hypothesis that, among other things, has seen Lloyds move from 2010's, 2019's Blueprint 1 to 2025's Blueprint 2, which co-opted the IUA and broader stakeholder representation. The market, continuing to build on foundations such as the risk exchange, the complex risk platform, claim triage solution and syndicate in a box, and positive progress in terms of diversity. For today's podcast, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Tom Payne, the Managing Director for UK and Europe, the Risk ISO, and Paul Atash, the Chief Commercial Officer at Seatful. So, if that's I could come to you, uh, first of all, Tom, London has a very long and illustrious history when it comes to insurance. But in what ways do you think this legacy could be a millstone around its neck when it comes to modernising itself, both in terms of culture and process? Uh, uh, well, th- firstly, thank you for uh, inviting me um, uh, to be on this podcast. Um, and just as a quick, quick bit, Lords and London Market is something that's very close to my heart. I mean, I've worked in it for many, for many, many years and I owe it a great deal. Um, but sort of to, to your point, I've had the opportunity to sort of observe it over the last 20 or so years. And whilst I mean, that is small beans in comparison to the sort of to the to the sort of the history of the market that the one thing that for me that you, if you and, and I'm not sure whether you, you kind of call it a millstone so much as a mindset but there's this kind of idea of if it's not broken and don't fix it um and whilst I appreciate that 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 is that that is true in in, in many instances I think with respect to the Lloyds and the London market um that in itself has had the effect of 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 sort of constraining and restricting its ability to change. Um, you know, we, we talk about, you know, you know, you know your past to understand your present. And again, with that, that with that sort of um, uh, sort of historical or, or, or you could argue somewhat backward looking view, it, it does sometimes, I to my mind at least, mean that, you know, Lloyd's are not as ambitious as perhaps they could have been um, when it when it when it comes when it comes to change. And, and I do appreciate why in many respects I mean we'll talk a bit later I think in this around the concentration of the skills in the market and everything else and what 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 makes what makes um, the market unique but we are starting to move into a, a kind of a new normal and we have to recognize as a result of that you know we have to to a degree break with tradition so you know and you know, along with that then comes a, a set of activities or an or, or, or at least some focus from both the corporation itself but also the practitioners around well okay what what does that mean what are we going to have to do in in a in a in a more digital and more virtual marketplace and what do what 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 do we have to see as um the, the modernization activities that have to come along with that you know and we talk in terms of culture we talk in terms of process and they all go and you know they all make up a large proportion or a good proportion of what of what needs to happen but now is the time to recognize that you know we, we have to break we have to break from the past we have to sort of push push forward we have to understand the role that technology will play and, and I'm, I'm of the view that the, you know it's, it's not the be all and end all tech I mean it, it has a very key role to play but um, you know it, it it's going to be a case of looking at 
a whole raft of, of, of changes that each on its own might not uh, might not move the market forward, but collectively it will. Um, and we shouldn't be we shouldn't have this habit, which I, I, I say I think I think we have historically held to, which is well, let's look to what's worked historically as being a guide to what we should uh, decide upon as being our as as being kind of how we want to evolve evolve the market. Um, and you know, it's as much that you know we we need to evolve because. Um, it's it's a defensive action as well. I mean, you know, by looking I, again, I, my view is if we look backwards, we're taking somewhat of a defensive stance. Um, we can't do that. I think the market needs to be far more offensive and um, and and being wedded to somewhat of a historical view um, runs the risk of um, being slightly, you know, you, you can almost speak slightly protectionist and I don't think the market has any need to be protectionist. I think it's a fantastic place. I think it has, you know, you know it, 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 we should see this as an opportunity um, and we, we we should see the past for what it is, which was, you know, um, it is behind us. I mean, it, it, it's it's something we should be very proud of, but equally we shouldn't be wedded. We shouldn't be wedded to it. Paul. Um, well, thank you for inviting me as well. So I'd, I'd just probably add that um, London sort of prided itself as home of innovation when it comes to insurance and the products within it. Um, and whilst London and the city had unrivaled sort of competitiveness, uh, there was little or less need to change. Um, and I think as new threats from other underwriting centres have, have entered the market, uh, the changing demands of clients to deliver different and new ways uh, for products, uh, I think change is being forced on the market. Uh, historically, I think we thrived on that uh, ability for uh, entrepreneurial underwriters to start new businesses, new product lines, and we had lots of different companies managing agents of all shapes and sizes. Um, but the problem with diversity and size on that basis it impacts the ability of London to to drive those modernisations and, and reforms because there is a significant cost of modernisation, and depending on those different sizes and shapes of firms. Um, they have different budgets and appetites for investing in those changes initiatives. So that does slow down um, that ability to change uh, from that modernization from a process perspective. In terms of culture, um, I think history has been a bit uh, of a millstone for, uh, for that. I think even though Tom and I certainly know that that market's changed, whenever there is reference to the Lloyds and London market, we still see those pictures brought out of busy city bars, male faces in pinstripe suits, um, which is how certain people perceive that London market, I think, which is incorrect and the market has moved on. But I still think there's that historical cultural point, which is still a bit of a milestone, millstone even. Uh, actually, I'll just actually, sorry, Potter, you picked up on a really interesting point there. But I think that there is an external perception as well. Um, you know, it, it's curious, isn't it, that think in some respects it always makes me smile a little bit when they talk about the city of London they have a habit of you know focusing on the insurance industry and I think people probably see the lawyers of London's county and those that don't really understand it necessarily or aren't, aren't steeped in it will see it as a byword for sort of our, I mean you know it's kind of when we look at remember the old futures exchange and the, and the traders in the striped jackets to some extent I think people look at from an external perspective look at London as being kind of byword for sort of antiquity and it's not and that isn't true um, and so it's how do we how does Lloyd's, how does the corporation, how do the managing agents, the brokers and, and people such as Veris, how do we help the market shed that 
and say, look, yeah, we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be bound by the past. And we need to try and change people's perceptions of the market. So, Tom, I mean, talking about moving on as a roadmap for the future of Lloyd's, what do you think are the most important parts of Blueprint One? And were there any possible gaps in this modernization plan? So, so I, you know, I've got to be sort of cards on the table here. So, you know, I've, I've worked for the corporation. I've worked with um, I work for managing agents, brokers, the associations. I've been heavily involved in things like the LM Tom, which was obviously pre- predates this, and you know, right the way back to. Um, I mean, I'm sure a few of the people on, you know who will listen to this will smile when I talk about things like Darwin and stuff like that. But you know, is, is there any gaps? It's not about are there gaps. It's about understanding the business outcome and the business outcome that the market is trying to achieve. Um, and if I have a criticism of the LM Tom, and I will put my hands up and say that I was, you know, I was heavily involved in it, so you know, you know, I'm as equally culpable as anybody else, is that we lost sight of the business outcome. Um, it then became a technology change event in my mind. Uh, and the business outcome, we look, and we talk about the mythical 41%, but fundamentally what we're saying is we need to address the inherent frictional costs of trading in the market, um, which people understand. We need to look at the way we address culture, and I think that absolutely is, is, is hugely important. We do need to understand the role that technology technology plays um, throughout the throughout the, the the value chain, whether you know right the way from sort of pre buying quote all the way through claim settlement and everything else. So you know, is the blueprint missing anything? I, I don't think it necessarily is. I just think what we have to do, and I and I and I I do believe you know people such as you know Jen Rigby is is the kind of the executive sponsor and John Neil and those guys do recognise that it's about the business outcome. If if, if we agree that the business outcome is the 41 percent or, you know, whatever, and we can continue and that's that's the anchor point And that's against what we measure blueprint and all the other work or whatever. You know, and I'm you know, saying just the 41 percent but the culture and everything else. But as long as we can go back to those business outcomes, then to my mind, no, I don't think there are there are necessarily gaps as such. Um, but that said, if we start to drift away from that, if we start to talk about this in the context of being a technology driven change event then yes I think the risk is we would start to see gaps form because it will not you know you talk about some you know we could look at some of the stuff around the lead follow model the business model you know we can debate whether or not um, it's right or wrong and I know various managing agents and and practitioners will have a view on that but it's about understanding it's about showing ambition it's about recognizing there are no sacred cows it's about understanding you know well where are we trying to get the market uh, if we if, if that conversation stops if that focus starts to wane then I run the then then I would get yeah, the, the risk then will become is that people start to say well there are gaps in the blueprint. I think as it stands today, there is nothing that immediately springs out to me. Um, and but you know like all of these things, um, t- time will tell and it will be the market's ability to stay the course. Paul, uh, well yeah I think um, uh, for me without doubt it's it's building on Tom's point. It's the use of technology to reduce those frictional costs of doing business in Lime Street um, is the most important part. We've got to be competitive. We've got to reduce that cost of, of doing business. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a good move for Lloyd's um, not to try to deliver all of the core initiatives at the Blueprint at the same time. So I think there will be gaps, but I think that's important that we focus on the key initiatives and get them done. Um, the, one of the gaps and the market is trying to fix this but i find really frustrating in the environment that i sit in is is the sort of lack of api and standards around connecting different parts of the the value chain so broking and underwriting systems Um, so i think that will be addressed in the blueprint but i see a huge amount of cost wasted in 
in, in trying to work out those communication chains and connected points. I think as Tom will certainly having been part of the Tom will, will realise the biggest pressure for Lloyds for me is to ensure that they deliver what they've said on time without increasing costs to the market um, because any slippage in, in, in delivery schedule just rocks confidence and confidence is something that we need to build on and, and, and certainly with change times of COVID I think it's important that that digital change we build on that momentum to make sure that we have all the chances of success. So, so can I ask you, Tom, how do you see the role of the corporation and Lloyds changing amid all this proposed shake-up? So, well, this is, I mean, arguably this is, given what we've seen in the last few months, this, I think, probably goes to the heart of a lot of the conversations we're having at the moment about, you know, it, there's a couple of things, you know, historically, obviously, the corporation was the regulator. I mean, that, that changed, I think, was it 20 years ago now, I think 2000, sometime like that, it, you know, it, it ceased its role, it's, but it still has a very, very key role to play. But it, you know, it, it's a discussion around, you know, what is what is Lloyd's as a, as a, to my mind, or the corporation as a presence? You know, it, it, this is this sort of physical, logical discussion, I, I, I think, you know. Um, you know, as a market, it will always require a third party to oversee it. Right. Um, you know, we, whether it be around the smooth operation, you know, policing, you know, you know, yeah, laying down the law where where, where it's appropriate. So, you know, the, the bylaws, that kind of stuff, not necessarily from a regulatory perspective, but actually, you know, how do we ensure that people adhere to, to, to the kind of the rules of the game? You know, how, we, how do we work on, 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 on you know, how do we manage engagement? You know, how do we ensure that the, the interests of the policyholders are protected? And that is a very, very key role. And ultimately, that is absolutely something that Lloyd's is there to do. I mean, the Corporation of Lloyd's is there to do exactly that. And I think that's that. But but that that is not necessarily the need. You know, I think that that is very much a logical role it plays. Um, but I think it comes back to you know, does it? You know, then you get this kind of you know, what does it mean around the physical sense? You know, we've certainly seen um, over the last few months where you know almost Lloyd's have had to had to assume a more virtual presence simply because access to the room and access to number one lime street has been has been limited or effectively there has there has been no, no no access yet the market has continued to trade effectively you know the market went digital overnight in essence you know something that the market has singly struggled to do for for years right the way back to I mean, we've all been right, right the way back to sort of the days of uh, blue mountain um, was that 15 years ago maybe, maybe maybe longer so you know I, I think that that i think that the the role in um, the, the corporation's role as it comes to ensuring the smooth operating of the market and everything else will never be more important. And I think the whole point back to the blueprint one conversation, everything else, I, I don't I don't think that they're in, in the least bit is, is, is going to be diluted. If anything, arguably that role will become even more important, if, you know, if we're trying to, you know, we're trying to see cultural change within the market and maybe we're seeing greater competition from, from overseas from, from overseas hubs. I think that it's it's going to be the physical role. You know, what role does number one Lime Street play? What role does having, you know, I don't know how many people it is now, but you know, how many hundreds of people working for the corporation, you know, constituted and based at but number of, you know, again, what what are, what what, are, what 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 is happening there? Um how can that be um you know, does that need to be addressed? Do we need to look at um as you say Starting to see the the room as a, as, a, as a hybrid between some physical um, some physical presence in the square mile, but also also virtual. I know that's work that's being done at the moment, obviously with the with the reopening of the room yesterday. So, to my mind, I think it's that it's going to be that that interplay, that balance between physical physical and logical that really will play out over the next two, three, four years. Paul, yeah, I, I 
agree with all those points. I think Lloyds is certainly looking to streamline its processes and uh, a corporation will need to look at how it streamlines with it. Um, the role will certainly change um, over the coming uh, coming periods. But I think the FSA, to your point on, I think the FSA took over, yeah, just over two decades ago. And I think if the corporation needs to focus, therefore, on, on the, its key roles, which is the operation of the Lloyds market, its protection of the brand, uh, the market's promotion overseas, managing relationships with that regulator and the legislators. So um, I think that that part's key. They fundamentally, for me, to speak for the Lloyds market and the London market, they need to continue to be uh, leaders in change. They need to pull those entities together and, and focus on change and how that can be brought about. And most importantly, to continue to promote London as that key economic centre and the brand of London. Can I just ask then, um, Tom, I mean, it's something that I suppose has been touched on quite a bit recently. In what ways do you think COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic might help speed up change when it comes to the previous prevalence of a face-to-face underwriting culture within both Lloyd's and the London market? Uh, it's, I think I said this, in, uh, we did um, various visions you know, a, a few weeks ago, but I mean, it has COVID has achieved in six months something the market has been struggling to achieve for the thick end of of two decades if not even longer i mean it, it, it's it, it the, the market went virtual overnight it, it proved the market's ability to adapt it proved the market's ability to trade in a non-traditional in a non-traditional way um it, it and it, don't get me wrong i don't I, i'm not saying that it is you know it it, it, it covid 19 the pandemic and everything else is going to see the demise of face-to-face trading I, I still think there will be a role for that to play and to be honest, I think that is an important an important element of the market. I'm you know I'm not going to pretend you know it's, it's part of the market it's, that, that I enjoy. But what COVID has done is it's actually shown if it, it's it's if we take positives from what has been or still is an incredibly difficult time for for the country for the world for that matter. But what it has proven is is that we you know this market can adapt and it understands what's and it understands what's important. It understands that you know we still need to service the customer those products still need to be available and actually we have to come up with novel ways well well maybe not novel actually we might have thought that they were novel historically but clearly they're not i mean you know, the, you know ways in which we will continue to trade and i think what that does that gives us confidence so maybe what we can do is we can take away some you know we can look at the COVID 19 pandemic and when we come out of it and say do you know what you know we we come out as a more confident market as a result of it because it's it, it proves it's it's been you know in that kind of crucible we've proven our abilities um and probably more so than you know you, you could arguably i mean i'd be interested i'm sure we'll do, i'm sure the analysis will be done as to the degree to which you know the the, the pandemic affected the market um and whether or not we, we we you know we missed a step but i don't believe the market did and speaking to to colleagues and peers within within managing agents and, and brokers you know, what they're telling me is that they have not seen from a trading perspective maybe, claims aside because i mean that's a pr- product of, of 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 the deals that you do but actually but from a trading perspective you know they, they have they're not i'm not hearing anybody tell me that they've seen any kind of material material impact um so i, I think you know from us it's, it, it we should see it as you know we, we should come out as a as a as a as a more ambitious and more confident market as a result but but recognizing it wouldn't be a way we would have wanted to have achieved it i don't think anybody if they'd been given this as an option would have said yes do you know what we'll take a global pandemic but at the same time, is what we shouldn't do is um, ignore the opportunities and the positives um, that it that it that it has um, that it has or will, I, I believe, um, 
continue to deliver. Paul? Yeah, well, I think um, it's incredible the, the impact that the pandemic has had and, and sort of hats off to the market for its ability to have gone from something that's taken decades to to weeks and months to be able to to transact and, and be more digital in the way we do things. So that, that remote working, for me, speaking to, to colleagues in the market, certainly has worked. And I think the genie's out of the bottle. I think it's very difficult to put that back in once people understand that online placement of the risks is being executed. It, it does appear to be working. We haven't gone through a one-one cycle, so we haven't gone through the, the the peak in the in the stress levels. But I think fundamentally, this has been been working um, much better than most people would have considered. Um, but we are built on a face-to-face uh, and relationship basis, so I think it will obviously come back at, into to what level, the amount of time, frequency, how those face-to-face meetings happen. Will it be in a building? Will it be even more virtual? I think. The next few months will determine a lot of that as to what gets implemented. Um, but I think Lloyd's and, and London has to use this as a momentum for change. I think it really has, in an incredibly short pace of time, made us re, refocus and look at the way that we transact and do business. And, and technology is a big part to play in, in what will be the future of this market. So, um, Tom, in Taking that point, what would you describe as uh, EC3's USP presently for international insurance clients and how do you see that changing between now and 2030? Will there still be an EC3 insurance centre in London? Uh, So I think there's been, there have been challenges to to EC3 in the past. We've seen attempts to create um, hubs overseas and one of the things, and and to some extent, you know, well, not to some extent. I mean, this is heavily a result of that, you know, that concentration of the, you know, the the, the, the physical presence of this. Maybe this goes back to this kind of physical logical conversation earlier, but the physical physical presence of the Lloyd's market. But it's the concentration of 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 unique underwriting knowledge. I mean, that has been there are there is nowhere else on the planet that you can within you know within ten minutes walk of 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 number one Lime Street. I mean, you can you, you you will get such a high concentration of highly experienced um, um, uh, underwriters, uh, you know, who who can accept and understand and price complex um, uh, uh, complex mil, multi billion dollar dollar risk. Um, so in that respect, you know, that that is. To my mind, it's kind of essential USP, and, and well, and it, that coupled with the fact that it sits within an ecosystem of all of the other things that you need round it to to, to run a, a global centre of you know, insurance excellence, and that's everything from you know I'd say what what we do at, at Verisk and what the guys at Sickle do around the ability to provide all the technology that's needed to to support that underwriting process. You've got proximity to your to your broker clients. You know you've got proximity to your clients. So, so you've got this high heavy concentration. So at the moment that is absolutely absolutely the USP, and it has been for some time. How it will change? I think what you will see is um, I think that uh, managing agents, brokers, and everything else become far more discerning with regards to who they keep within the Square Mile. I don't see. I still believe, and I, I I think this is. I want it to still exist. I still want there to be a presence in EC3 in, in 30 years time. I think what you might find it's kind of the, it is those core roles, that core capability that is there. You might see increasingly akin to, and we are seeing a certain amount of this, but I suspect given everything again that's happened over the last few months is that you'll see some of 
some of the managing agents and some of the insurance companies starting to move capability away from EC3 in in more sort of the mid the back office because they they don't necessarily need that skill sets based in based in the center because you know you know they're going to have uh, you know t- technology that's delivered by by organizations you know say mentioned previously but you know by people like various whether around the analytics space or, or or in the policy administration space where you know that technology will allow people to send, send certain aspects of the of the value chain to be more um uh, more spread out geographically so you can see certain elements of it moving away um i still do believe though there will be a constant i do well i suppose i hope there will be i do believe there will be a concentration i just think it will be different um, I think it goes back to that. Say we just touched upon that. I think it goes back to the larger logical presence. Um, it, it would be interesting. I'm not sure. I struggle to see the Lloyd's building operating in the same way as it does today in another 10 years. Um, and again, I think that well, that will have an that will have an effect. But again, to be able to bring those that concentration of ability together in, in a in a geographical, um, in a in a in a kind of a in a concentrated location, I, I I think will still be there in 10 years time. I just don't think it will be at the scale it is as it as it is today. Paul? You are, I, I, Tom, that's right. I think that that intellectual capital that we have in not just underwriting and broking, it's all the ecosystem that sits around it. It's the it's the claims platforms, it's the uh, software providers that all work in that in that unique position of being able to play off each other and understand that that nucleus of uh, that, that we all work around. I think London's in danger of becoming that market of last resort um, for risks that are large or complex to be placed elsewhere. And I think, although the LMG's London Matters report says that London's still the largest by far, especially market in the world, I still think that the term specialty is changing. So as product lines get a bit more commoditized, they go out into the regions and the other markets and, and who are cheaper at commoditizing product sets than London necessarily is. So what we don't want to become is the innovator that drives and considers these products and launches them and then lose them out into the into the marketplace. So we need to be cost efficient um, in order to maintain that that SME market and product. Um, I think um, the market share that we have in advanced economies is good, um, but we still lose ground in those emerging economies. So I think that is something we need to to focus on more strongly. Um, but London is lucky. It, uh, as well as having the underwriting and broking expertise, it's a position where we can talk to the US and Asian markets in the same day. So it's just well positioned. And I think we need to main, maintain that. I agree on the building. I think the building will come under threat. In my view, I think remote working, um, I, I can't tell, I haven't got a crystal ball, but I certainly think there'll be less people in EC3 in the coming decade. Um, I think there'll be a, a, a concentration of the decision making in London, but I think other parts might move outside into other other parts. Um, but um, risks, exposures, um, the the, you know, the threats facing the world will increase in size and frequency, and the intellectual capital that sits inside EC3 will remain to be that innovation hub. Um, and I think that's that's critical for our for our marketplace. I, I, that's an interesting. I mean, you talk about the. I mean, we talk. I mean, we hear these terms of ecosystems and networks and everything else. And just to your point, Paul, I think you're absolutely right in the regards that I think that what you'll end up is that if you roll forward a bit, you'll find a situation where EC3 is at that centre of that network. It is more. Um, 
the word federalized federated in that regard um is that right or it's you know it's 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 been yeah. it's, it's no longer as concentrated in the center or devolved maybe devolves the right word but anyways you know it's been spread out but at the same time you do have that concentration um the other thing is also is and it's something that Verisk is very uh focused on is around collaboration and I think one of the strengths of the market is the ability for the risk takers, the risk managers from different businesses to collaborate and to come yeah. up with those unique products. And I think that whilst, you know, you can do it remotely. One of the things I was back in London yesterday for the first time in five and a half months. And actually for me, whilst it's, it's kind of an odd, odd experience, I do recognise that you, know, you, you sometimes being able to collaborate with your peers on a face to face basis is incredibly powerful. And I, and, I, and, I, and I really hope that that is something that we don't we don't lose. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we've, we've spoken a lot about you know COVID nineteen and, and and the pandemic, and perhaps it's easy to forget that Brexit is actually just around the corner. Um, Tom, how well do you think Lloyd's and London markets prepared for the consequences of this change? So I, I I sort of watched this from the inside. We you know when 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 the when we made the decision to leave Europe, and then the implications was you know then the lawyers started to do the work around that. You know, understand what the implications of that meant, and we talk around the subsidiary um, and you know then, then people started to understand well actually what did that mean in a really practical sense and what would the what would the sort of the, the business trading structures have to look like to allow us to continue to, to trade in, in Europe and you know the work around the subsidiary and you know and I, and I was able to watch that and I said I'm not sure <laughs> what else could be done I mean I know there was a lot of noise made at the time but actually you know in the end of the day it was a decision that the, that, that the UK made this wasn't a decision that EC3 or Lloyd's made is you know the the United Kingdom decided to leave Europe, and I, and I think that you know Lloyd's have done everything they could have done um, uh, to to sort of protect the position of the market, to allow continuity in respect of um, you know looking after the interests of our policyholders, you know, and 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 our, and our stakeholders. So, you know, is it a compromise? Well, yeah, it probably is. Um, but but it's kind of a an, it's a, it's a product of the situation we find ourselves in. But it's a, you know but it's a viable it's 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 a viable product it's it's a viable it's a viable compromise. Um, I, I heard a stat recently, and I, I I hope I'm not misquoting this. So somebody's I'm sure they'll correct me. But my understanding is that when the part seven occurs, which I think is obviously still geared for later this year, and it obviously in theory has to be done before the end of the year. Um, I think that Lloyd's Brussels will 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 almost overnight quite to about 10 percent of the of 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 the insurance industry in in belgium which you know if you think about it it's huge i mean you know in, in the time from you know in the last 12 to 18 months 24 months you know that you know the, the market has gone through you know for for you know considerable a considerable challenge in the sense of you know, all the look backs that have to be done with all the kind of you know ultimately when they do the part seven transfers you know to to to, to achieve what they've achieved i, I think is, is is pretty laudable um, but yes, you know, ultimately, I do think, yeah, to a degree, to 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 a degree, it's 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 a compromise. So, um, will this operating model survive in the longer term? Though, I'm not so sure. I think that you know, we're seeing increased consolidation in the market. We we're looking at alternative capital models um, through which to underwrite risk. I mean, I think it's quite possible when this dust settles over the next couple of years, we will start to see maybe a reduction in in the business that's flowing through the subsidiary as as, as insurers start to get their they kind of, you know, they start to take a, a different view on how they're going to trade into Europe and, and, you know, those sorts of decisions get made. But yet, you know, that isn't and that should never be seen as a verdict on what Lloyd's has done. I just think, you know, that that ultimately is a consequence of our decision to leave the EU. So, you know, I take you know, hats off to them and to the managing agents for that matter. I mean, it's, it's been a huge amount of work and I mean, there's still a way to go yet. But I'm not I, I, I honestly don't know. 
quite helps what they, they could have done in this in the situation that, that we found ourselves in. Yeah, I, Tom, I I think you've nailed it. I think that I think as as well as they could be, Lloyd's and on the market are as prepared as they they could be. They, they took really early steps, and I I was really encouraged to see how how decisively they uh, set up the subs, subsidiaries. Um, they uh, announced and the F, FCA asked for plans from all the UK insurers um, in event of no deal. Um, so I think it's increasingly looking like there may be a departure without a trade deal. Uh, passporting rights will be key, and I think the EU will look for a number of concessions for for that. But I think we're as prepared as we can be. Um, I think the lobbying element to what we've done was 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 really good. I think the UK government is fully understanding and, and aware that our leading position is a financial services sector, which insurance plays a huge part, will be a key bargaining tool. Um, so I think. The market's done what it can to raise its profile in that regard. Um, so I think London is is as well prepared as it can be, but it will be a, a very difficult period. I mean, at the start of this this podcast, we, we talked about um, culture, uh, specifically talking about culture and diversity, and this has very much been a focus for those in the Lloyds and London market in recent years. Can I ask you, Tom, how do you see the profile and makeup of those employed in EC3 over? evolving over the next decade particularly given what we've said uh, about the kind of number of staff that we're working in that concentrated area so this one for me i i'm sure it won't come surprise to the listeners of course we you know we saw these questions in advance um but for me this almost presented the most difficult one because we can make we can make all the technological change that we can. You know, we can invest tens, if not hundreds of millions of pounds in trying to reduce the frictional costs. We can, you know, bring all the, the smartest technology to bear, you know, the, 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 the smartest analytics. But in the end of the day, if we don't have the right types of individuals operating in this market, then, you know, I, I, personally, I think that the, the, the market, the market is, is, is ultimately going to is going to perish so what do I see I I I saw a lot of the coverage as we all did over you know we've seen over the last couple of years and to my mind you know it 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 distresses me for somebody that's worked in the market for as long as I have and I've been lucky to work with some incredible individuals um uh, both both male and and female and it it really did distress me when I saw the reports that were coming out about the behaviour of individuals in our market. And I hope beyond hope that those individuals no longer operate in the market um, because we need to make sure that the market attracts the very best, um, the, the smartest individuals, be it the data scientists, be it you know people with the sorts of um, maybe those non-traditional backgrounds that have historically been shunned by uh, managing agents and brokers. Um, so I mean, I to my mind, I you know, I'm I'm the sort of profile as I see it will be will be a younger, a vastly younger, heavily engaged, um, sort of digitally aware, um, that, you know, that next generation. Um, and I want to be able to say, you know, I I'm I'm the father of twin girls who are you know ten years old, but you know, I have I, I for me, if, you know, if they wanted to enter the market, I would see that as being a um, 
a very positive, a kind of almost, you know, that would be, um, I'm trying to think of the right word for it, but it would be, that, that would be a, a very positive tick in the right box about where the, where, where, where the market's gone and going. And, you know, if my daughters want to work in it, then I think it, it's, it, it will have achieved a lot in ensuring it remains relevant and it has a it has a a a, a vibrant a vibrant future so that i think it's i suppose it's probably the profile that that, that many organizations and businesses would love to see working um and, and operating within their own industries um I, I i fear we're probably a bit behind the curve when you compare us to the sort of the the the, the technology sectors but i don't think we should stop. I think that we still have a really good opportunity. Certainly, again, we can talk about the work of, of, of Blueprint One. We can talk about what the corporations trying to do, what the managing agents are trying to do. I look at the work the associations, the LMA, the IUA are, are doing. I, I think that that is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, and I think we've taken a stance and a stand now that kind of some of the his, historical behaviours and and some of the accepted practices are simply well, I, I'm, I, it, it just, well, it, it makes me sad that they were accepted at all, to be honest. Um, as I said, I, 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 I never observed them directly, but, but clearly people, people um, uh, 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 did experience um, sort of the sorts of behaviours that, you know, I certainly, I certainly don't want to see. And, and I think that we need to make sure we work collectively together to really, um, shine a light on the market and 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 give you know that generation the next generation a really clear sense of what it mean and the opportunities that that, that come from working in 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 the lawyers in the lawyers in london market so yeah for me it's that sort of vibrant engaged digitally aware um arguably non-traditional background not even necessarily university graduates i think maybe we've got to hang up on university graduates i think that there should be we should look at multiple ways of getting the right kinds of individuals into into, into into the market because if we don't um yeah we could chuck all the money and all the technology at it but without without the people then i i struggle to see how the market will would, would survive long term paul yeah i think tom's covered it all it's, it's a really awkward subject for me i've worked in the market most of my working life and it's it's a stimulating place to work and everyone should have the opportunity or the decision to to, to move into it i think uh, if we really want to attract that talent into the sector, which it needs for innovation as as a centre, we need a diverse and a culturally rich environment to do so. Um, and I think those that have embraced it have seen you know, th those positive steps um, that diversity brings around management, decision making, and and uh, all of those steps will be paying dividends. Uh, I think a fair bit's been done by the market, but it's it's still got that millstone, as I alluded to earlier, which which brings it back to the past, which isn't always correct, but it still always needs to be stamped out wherever possible. Um, I think the face-to-face -face and relationship side will, will continue, um, but as 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 opposed to days gone past, that's much more likely to be over a latte these days than anything stronger. Um, but I think the other element to it is is bringing people into the into the marketplace, not just from um, from its traditional sort of homelands of, as Tom suggested, universities and so forth, but also from the emerging economies. You know, if we want to try and grow in those regions, um, we need to be more diverse to understand the risks, to understand the culture that that um, that we're selling products into, uh, and more importantly, that the clients that 
that they serve. So I think we need to be much more diverse in where we select and, and, and train and enhance that 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 much wider um, diverse sort of set of people. But it's is absolutely critical this if we want to grow our talent pool and for it to remain an innovation centre, we've got to be more diverse and, and culturally aware. I think we're taking a step in the right direction, but there's considerably more to do. I, I, I would just yeah, I would echo that point. I think you know how, how do we um, and, and and that goes for all um, all of those organisations that operate within the market. You know, as I say, the likes of the Verisks and the Sequels, the, the the managing agents, the brokers, the Lloyds of this. You know, how do we make sure that when that generation comes along and they look in, they see, they recognise themselves in, in what they're observing. And I think that's one of the struggles today. Is I think if I mean, many people would say, if I look. I look at the way the market is structured and the and, and the way it operates. They don't necessarily see themselves being reflected in that. And I said, how do we how do we shift how we how do we shift that? I think now's yeah. an opportunity though. I think that's one of the things we should off the back of everything that's happening at the moment. We should take it as a bit of a reset. We should say right, okay, you know, now's the time to be brave. We had a very very ambitious, uh, almost decision to some extent forced upon us. Look at that. We've survived that one. We need to we now need to take from that the. Um, we need to understand from an, an ambitions perspective and you know what what can we do and you know we, we need to be more um you know, ha- to take the bravery from that and actually and, and and push on okay well on that positive note i'd like to say a big thank you uh, to tom and paul for their time thank you gentlemen thank you remember to check out the uh, future focus article associated with this podcast online in print and in the app store edition and also to check out the previous uh, future focus content in association with risk focused on personal injury, motor, property and climate change. But until the next edition of Future Focus, looking at insurance ecosystems, it's goodbye from me. Cheerio, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>